the Unplugged in St Kilda podcast series. We've had a real lot of fun celebrating St Kilda's rich musical history by reminiscing with musicians who lived and played here in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Sadly, this is our final episode. However, we're finishing off in the finest way possible with an overview of how and why St Kilda became such a hub for live music. My guest today was a booking agent for the band room of St Kilda's beloved Prince of Wales Hotel during the 1990s. He's joining us to share his expertise on the history of the local music scene. Thank you for joining us, Neil Wedd. Thanks for inviting me along. So. No problem, Neil. Uh, Neil, before we get into how the music scene started in St Kilda, could you give me a summary of how you started working in the industry? So I like bands and I came from Tasmania in 1976. I used to be, I was a computer programmer for years and I ended up going to Perth to do a contract um, and I've met a lot of people. I used to love the Reels were my favourite bands. I used to go and see them everywhere. So I ran into people, uh, musicians and um, lighting people. So and all sorts of people because I liked music and was reasonably outgoing about it. So I ended up in Perth and I went to see Simple Minds play. And I got I wanted to get a drink. I think I was either that or a bit bored with it. And I walked backwards and I walked into Ken West who was the lighting person for the Laughing Clowns and stuff. And he goes, Neil, what are you doing here? And I said, I might ask you the same question. And he goes, I'm bringing out John Cooper Clark and New Order and I'm looking for a promoter. And I put my hand up and said, I'd love to do that. So that's what I did. And I so started with Ken, who ended up running the big day out along with Viv Lees. And I, the first show I did was John Cooper Clark and that sold out. How easy is that? Then New Order did their only really good show in the first tour in Australia in 1982. And then I did things like Lou Reed, The Violent Femmes, The Hoodoo Gurus, who were bigger in Perth than anywhere else in Australia at the time. Ended up managing the Stems and the Bamboos. I DJ'd, ran a club, generally sort of probably helped really kickstart the the alternative scene in Western Australia. Ended up coming back to Melbourne, worked at Premier Artists, then sort of worked with Viv as well, Viv and Ken, before the big day out. Then did the Old Greek Theatre in Richmond, which is well-beloved for people of a certain age, and then started the Prince of Wales in 1991. Wow, that's a big career. (laughs) And I'm still doing it, so that's not too bad, 40 years this year, so... Excellent. They had quite quick success there too. Uh, Yes and no. Like in Perth I did. Then I came back to Melbourne and I was really scrambling around to get by. I was doing a bunch of different things. I ended up doing going back to computer programming for 18 months to make some money and then I just got offered the old Greek theatre, did that till that sort of imploded and the guy tried to burn it down another story and then I ended up with the Prince of Wales and then sort of after the Prince I did I did a bit of stuff at the corner I got invited to help a little bit at the punters club but that was just helping Lorinda do that Wilkinson who did that and then Greyhound after the Prince of Wales um, after it got sold and you know here there and everywhere sort of then I went to Ended up at the Metro, did a couple of stints at the Metro in the City, Billboard, and then I've been at the Thornbury Theatre for the last 10 years. 
Now, Neil, one of the biggest skills that a booking agent has to have is not only to know what bands or artists are out there, but also to know what's shaping the industry. So whether it's politics, real estate prices or poker machines, could you give us a summary of how, we'll say, the rock music scene started in St Kilda um, that influenced it from the 70s onwards? Look, I'm not super certain from the 70s. I was around, but it, you didn't. St Kilda wasn't really sort of happening so much in the semi, early 80s, obviously the ballroom, and that really kick-started it. Laurie Richards did that, then Dolores did it after that. Then sort of Laurie went down to the electric ballroom, which has ended up becoming Bojangles and that's the on the foreshore now, and then the Palace came along in 86. I mean, there was a lot of small venues around St Kilda, but I think the scene moved from Carlton to St Kilda early 80s, and so Rob First, that's how Rob First actually got started with Beat. He ran Locomotion at the Ballroom, which was a dance club. And then so music was sort of going everywhere, Melbourne was really second by a long way to Sydney, except for Countdown. You know, Melbourne had a good, strong scene. And then, so come the mid-80s, Countdown finished. Oh, film clips started. And so bands didn't have to come down so much you could put your film clip on. But seeing bands live, you would then go out and see them play. And obviously that era was working. So Countdown finishes, that cuts off a lot of exposure for Australian bands. And that's the bread and butter of the live music circuit and it was a big suburban circuit and they just said, we can't afford to keep losing money. Um, We might make $5,000 this week but we lost $10,000 last week. So people go out of the business. They turn it over. First they became um, family dining rooms and if you go out to Doncaster Shopping Town, the Moreland Hotel, I think Daisy's and Ringwood, they've all got those like terrariums, oh, sorry, they've all got terrariums, almost like they're glass areas and that's what Bruce Matheson from ALH, he put those in because that's kid friendly so the kids could play. Then they get poker machines and that really, that just winds it right out. So Late 80s, grunge is really taking over. Um, The Prince of Wales is going well. Then I reckon Sydney probably got expensive and in the end that's people started to come to Melbourne and it was more the alternative scene. So there's there's a really strong, Melbourne's a strong place and I think the government's sort of encouraging people a bit more. Surrey Hills got really expensive and so that drove a lot of musicians out of there. And then Melbourne just takes off the, you know, the Prince of Wales and people just moved to, people started flocking to Melbourne. You know, it could be the government, it was cheaper to maybe, maybe to live in Melbourne than in Sydney. And it's a really strong sort of alternative scene and people started to flock to it. And that's where St Kilda takes off. The grunge goes through the roof, but there's not a lot of venues. So St Kilda's the home of that, you know, the Prince of Wales and the Espy is everybody's basically everybody's lounge room. The palace is in St Kilda as well. So if there's, you know, the palace is busy, that's bringing... So the whole suburb's humming, you know, and people make it and grunge made bands, you know, something out of nothing in a way. Well, plenty of bands who work really hard, but they got a quick get up and go and you see all the changes that 
things go through, you know, the, then you see it's really strong for about two or three years, then there's not as busy as, so we, I actually was looking at something on Facebook the other day, people dropped away from, we, we couldn't put on as many live shows during the week because it's not paying as well and, you know, then dance music starts coming, which had already started because the Razor Club, which is very close to St Kilda and the mansion and, you know, then we change from speed to ecstasy probably and there's a difference in the scene and then so people who've been in the biz, you know, you've been 10, 15 years of being in a band, the doll was okay, You could that really got you by in the 70s and 80s and then they started to crack down on it. So you actually have to have a job. You know, Shock Records employed half the musicians in Melbourne to, to work and people had part-time jobs. Then you have a family. And whew, I remember living in Robe Street, and the rent went from $130. Admittedly, they did the place up to over $300 in 18 months. And if you want to see the downfall of St Kilda, Don Levy Fitzpatrick starts the Dogs Bar. He invites all the musicians down to provide and artists to provide probably smart move because they drink and enjoy themselves. It's like a salon almost there. And then he's got people in Middle Park and South Yarra. And they come down and go, oh, this is very pleasant. And it's not at all, there's not junkies and people trying to rip you off in the street. And so housing prices really went through the roof at that time. And so then the suburb starts to change a bit. Then he takes over the George Hotel. Oh, there's a lovely wine bar and everything. there. Oh, it's just a beautiful place to be. So it's it's not the St Kilda of what it was. So that's that. that and then the Van Handels bought the Prince of Wales. Um you know, they threatened me. <laughs> I'm trying to close up. Go, if you if you want to cause a riot here, it will be the end of you. And you just want to go, really, the people are going to riot in their lounge room, are they? And you just want to go, you're the one that wants to change it, not me. You know, you're perfectly entitled to you buying the building. And I reckon having lost that, there's only really, then there's the ESPY and that's, you know, and Trish... Rest, God rest her soul. You know, she did a fantastic job. She looked after, she's the grandmother of looking after all those musicians, making sure that you get gigs. You know, as a booking agent, part of you is you're looking, you know, you're helping people's lives because you're giving them gigs, giving them opportunities, trying to find, you know, you, you curate what's going on and you've got to be open. Grunge was very interesting because you could do anything, right? You could have a metal band against a pop band and you see the same people coming out to see different things play. And that's the that's what changed. And then eventually we even we were starting to do dance events and we're getting, you know, they're doing the bar is where you make money. So you're trying to also put these events on because they make money and they provide you with an income. So it's a different, you know, and then so Prince of Band Room, so the Piano bar closes. Don, Jan and Joe end up with the, at the Greyhound. And so then they just put in local bands there. It's a small and it's more local to do there. And, you know, so it goes along. But then people are starting to move. So they're buying houses. Can't afford to buy a place in security. So you've got a family. You go and move to Murrumbina, Oakley, 
you know, if you're renting, you're probably going to Brunswick, you're starting to go north because it's very still very cheap up there. Thornbury, places like that. So, you know, you've got Thornbury is the gay sort of centre of Melbourne for a really long time and for the north. And so you start, everything starts moving northward. And so eventually the Northcote Social Club, which gives the hub in Northcote, so it's gone a lot further. Yep. So, you know, not and then let's not forget that Henry Maas made Brunswick Street in the 80s with the cafe and revived the whole area. Music, huge driver in changing areas, uh, having things around. And so people promoting things, you can say the bands come out of it, but the bands can't really flourish unless there's a promoter. And in most cases, it's not the band, the members of the band that themselves are promoters, it's people around them. It could be their manager, but then a manager's looking after a band. They're not looking after a scene because you're trying to put people together to build things. Look at the way that dance music went just bang because people, smart people with ideas are able to do things. So, yep. and then it's moved north and, you know, people keep going, oh, St Kilda's not the same. Well, it's houses, are, you know, friends who bought a flat for $100,000 and worth three quarters of a million. You can't compete. Yep. All right. And, um, We've been talking to lots of artists about their favourite music venues. Yep. Um, needless to say, the Prince obviously played a big part. Yeah. Um, how would you describe what the Prince did for live music? So it's people's it's people's homes. They all they all live in. They used to live in the pool bar. You've got the gay bar. Don't forget that Pokies ran on Sundays and every I forget what it was called on. That's where everybody took their mother. To go, Mum, let's go and see a drag show. I'm, I'm, I'm coming out to you, really, but I'm not, sort of thing. <laughs> and it was that was full on the Sundays for twenty years. In fact, they had. I reckon they. I didn't realise for a while they had four rooms at the Prince of Wales for all the costumes. They had one wing of rooms at the Prince of Wales. Wow. Don't forget that PBS was also at the Prince of Wales. Yep. yep. Before it moved up the street. Uh, to the Ritz, and then it's gone to Collingwood. See, there you go. There's again that progression across from one across side north. to the other. Yep. And but the you know PBS was at the Prince of Wales, so the Prince of Wales. Ross McVean used to book that in the eighties. Then Gavin and Michael, Gavin Purdy and Michael Lynch booked it. Then Mark Burchett booked it. Then I ended up with um, um, John Facini, Fooch. Then Draw took it over. They went for more for dance parties because there's a lot of money to be made, and you've got to you've got to make money. And this is what the hard thing to get. You can help people, but you've also got to make money, and that's the the balance that as a booking agent that you got to do. But the Prince, sticky carpet, whatever. But you know, you like to hope that you created a great atmosphere. That's yeah. the most important thing. I'm sure you did. It was. Um, and speaking of venues, the loss of a live music venue can obviously have a terrible impact on the scene. Yep. Um, so places like the Greyhound, um, how would you say that affected St Kilda? To be truthful, it's only in people's memories. that it, It's not just in people's memories. It's really hyper-local and what you see is... Do you look after the people who drink at the hotel, right, and spend 
a lot of money, right? And you get that sort of thing. But as people grow older, there's less of them. So you're in fact, it's not a big, it's not a big room. So you're tending to turn the same things over to keep that in a way. It's really hard to. We did. I did indie initiative to try and see if I could find some new bands because I'm not getting them supplied. Premier or the major booking agents are not booking things in yep. for me. So I've got to do that. So, you know, that's you just got to work your way through that. Yep. All right. Now, Neil, Melburnians love their radio stations, especially the community ones. You touched on PBS before. Um, what role did radio stations like Triple J and Triple R play in promoting the live music culture? So Triple R made probably the whole scene in Melbourne. It's reflective of it. PBS as well. They just Triple R is one of the great cultural institutions in radio probably in the world. The very few have had that much influence, you know, that you hear records. I remember hearing, you know, the things that you hear for the first time. It's a bit off point, but hearing the Gypsy Kings first. And I ring Ken West up. Have you heard this band? Yeah, 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 I'm onto it sort of thing. But I just go, this is just going to take off. And that's coming from the motels came out of Triple R. You know, so many bands made their life out of Triple R and from, to a lesser extent, PBS and 3CR. But they keep people involved. And Melbourne, there's no, you know, SER in Sydney, FBI, but they're nowhere near the reach of Triple R. And, and that's the strength. That's what's made Melbourne. The, in the end, it's the Melbourne community and if you buy example, in Sydney, pubs are more, it's more on a what can I make money out of because it's expensive to do. In Melbourne, the guys at the corner, they love music. They kept holding on to it and they've done fantastically with it, you know. So places that, you know, love music and they do it probably to the detriment maybe of their business, you know, the small bars, the old bar, the tote. Well, the tote's a complete institution from that point of view. And that's what, that's what you know, how many places can you name like that in Sydney? There's not. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Sydney and yeah. um, that was actually going to lead into my next question, but you've pretty much answered it. I loved seeing bands there in the 90s, but I noticed a huge difference between the Sydney and Melbourne music scene when I moved here. So you think it was mainly the prices of Sydney and the pubs just sort of not devoting themselves to live music as much? We couldn't make money out of it, you know. In the, what, can you go and play the Hopeton? It's a free gig, you know. It depends on how much people drink. Strawberry Hills, that was a great scene in the 80s, but then they changed the pubs. Whatever you got in Sydney, the Lansdowne. No, the Lansdowne's in the city. What's the one on Parramatta Road? Oh, the Annandale? Annandale. Yeah. So they yeah, were music they lovers. closed recently. <laughs> yeah, right. So they're music lovers. So they kept, you know, that's a mid-sized venue to keep it going. So there's, there were a lot of smaller venues in Sydney. So, you know, but if you don't have promoters, you don't have, it's about people who love it, you know, the old, you know, one person with passion is worth a thousand people with an interest. And Melbourne's got more passionate people than anybody else. We're yeah. one of the great... Still one, I mean, I've not travelled, so I can't say, but most people would tell you that 
They love Melbourne. Melbourne audiences are double the size in most cases of yep. any 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 other place in Australia. And do you think it has anything to do with the accessibility of Melbourne? So, you know, trams, um, trams and it's sort of easy to get around. That, I think so. Sydney is a collection of villages. Yep. Brisbane is all in one place. Adelaide, who cares? Basically, to be truthful, there's, you know, it's hard to... Perth is interesting. Perth is mostly Northbridge and stuff like that. It's two places, Northbridge and Fremantle. It's a completely different aspect. And Darwin is a small town. Yep. Okay, so Melbourne really had it, didn't it? Yeah, look, it's geographically, it's reasonably, you don't have a, well, you've got a bridge, but it's only the Punt Road Bridge. It's not a big harbour. <laughs> and it's probably not so far to travel, I suppose. Yep. So. Yeah, because I remember being in Sydney and sort of the main problem was how am I going to get there? <laughs> well, and how am I going to get home? Yeah, how am I going to get there? To, how am I going to get home? I had to change mid-90s. It used to be that the headline band came on at the Prince of Wales and at the at 11.30, 12.30. Just go, how are you going to get home? Yeah. And they go, oh, they just drink more. And you just go, I'm going to start bands at 11, 11.30. So that, they, you know, because people are leaving before the main line bands on. You can't, so you start at 11 o'clock or 11.15, 11.30 latest. You can maybe get the last tram home. Yep. And it didn't make any difference to it and people get there earlier. Yeah. It's, it's about love and care and that's. That's what I do. That's what the radio stations do. And that's what it's about care for what you do. Yeah. And so, in summary, why do you feel the suburb of St Kilda is so important for live music? Was important. Yep. Because in our age group, that's what we remember. You know, if you're a little bit older, you'd say that if, you know, I straddled that thing coming to Melbourne in 76. Carlton was super important. There's been, you know, I lived in Carlton. You know, I probably should have moved to the northern suburbs, but I'm not. I live in St Kilda. Because it's institutions and places that people love. And you grew up with it. I mean, you try to get, in truth, you're trying to get back to you're about 25. doesn't matter what age you are. It's 25 is probably the place you want to be for music. That's what your great memories come from. That's interesting, actually. Um, Neil, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today. Right. It's been great to have someone with your knowledge and expertise help us close off the Unplugged podcast. That's right, loud mouth as well. So <laughs> it's been great. Thank you. Well, a huge part of the series has been spent walking down memory lane with some great musos from the 70s, 80s and 90s. It's so important to put it all into perspective of how things shaped St Kilda to become the music hub where it started the careers of so many people. Thank you all so much for listening to the Unplugged in St Kilda podcast series. It has been incredible chatting to so many wonderful artists and industry folk here in the studio and discovering what made St Kilda so amazing. A melting pot of different musical genres, a community of musicians who learn off each other and still collaborate today, and of course, an audience who supported a live music scene they could become so involved with. Thank you. You're going home in the back of a This podcast was recorded on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to thank the St Kilda Historical Society and its committee for the opportunity to carry out this project and for all their support along the way. 
The Historical Society does a lot of work throughout the year to preserve the history of our local area and make it accessible for all. Members pay $20 a year to join and receive three newsletters per year full of information and great stories. They have events throughout the year, including local history walks, talks and presentation of new research. See their website, stkildahistory.org.au, for more information. Our local council, the City of Port Phillip, does so much to support the magnificent arts here in St Kilda. A big thank you to the council for their funding in this podcast series as part of their Cultural Development Fund. Thank you for seeing the value of this project and in particular, thank you to Sharon Dawson for your guidance along the way. We look forward to seeing the other projects from this round of funding come to fruition as well. Sending out a big thank you to the animals for their assistance with the promotional side of this project. The animals are a one-stop shop for advertising, brand building and idea generation and have collaborated with many companies both here in Melbourne and around Australia. See their website, theanimals.com.au, for more. The Unplugged in St Kilda podcast was recorded at Big Ears Audio, 97 Wellington Street, St Kilda. I'd like to take a moment to thank Tony, Adrian, Laz and their team for doing such a brilliant job recording, editing and producing the series and for their professional advice along the way. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my wonderful volunteers who helped me put this series together, all the artists who gave their time for interviews and to you, the listener, for joining me. I've had a great time creating this project and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.